0: Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode.
1: Welcome to episode 143 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we begin with news of a data breach at Amazon, which has exposed product fake reviews. We then travel to Norway, where this just GDPR breaches exposed general concerns around GDPR and third-party plugins on websites. We then return to the UK, where a security breach has been discovered in the NHS 12ID19 vaccination booking website. And staying with 12ID19, we travel across to Northern Ireland, where Dinis has launched a Raising the Bar initiative, providing free 12ID19 tracking apps to Northern Ireland pubs and bars. We then travel to Hungary, where a healthcare provider has been fined £25,000, for use of unencrypted Excel spreadsheets to transfer data from one site to another. And then in the week, which is then World Password Day, we have news that Doodle is encouraging all users to use two-factor authentication. Back to the UK, and the ICO has announced consultation on new UK standard contractual clauses. And remaining in the UK, the Home Office has changed its employee sponsors' guidance on what, documents need to be retained if sponsored applicants are employed by a company. We then look at some surveys which show conflicting evidence on the risk to data from home working and hybrid working. We then have the result of a survey into the way that people prefer to pay and find that PayPal comes out on top. We then travel to Lancashire with news that Chorley Council has suffered a data breach. And we then travel to Florida where the Brevard School Board has suffered a data breach. And then finally this week we travelled to Kazakhstan, which has introduced new data protection laws based on the fundamentals of GDPR. So as always, a good mix of articles for you this week. We hope you find the articles useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please don't hesitate to email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive and wherever possible we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. Unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback which we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday, 4 pm UK time.
1: And we we'll begin with this week with news that cybersecurity researchers have discovered an unsecured database exposing a widespread scam in which Amazon customers buy fake reviews in exchange for free products from Amazon vendors. IT security experts, the safety detectives, found an unclaimed Elasticsearch server with no encryption or password protection. The safety detective said the server contained a treasure trove of direct messages between Amazon vendors and customers, potentially implicating more than 200,000 people in unethical activity. While it is unclear who owns the database, the breach demonstrates the inner workings of a prevalent issue affecting the online retail industry. The data breach exposed more than 13 million records and 7 gigabytes of data. The database was secured about a week after the cybersecurity team found it, but it remains unclear who controls it. The server appears to be based in China. Data found on the server showed how the scam works. Shady Amazon vendors sent fake reviewers the names of products they wanted five-star reviews for. The reviewers buy the products and post their reviews soon afterwards. Then the reviewer sends the vendor their PayPal information and Amazon profile. The reviewer secretly gets a refund from the vendor so they get to keep the product for free. The refund for any purchase goods is actioned through PayPal and not directly through Amazon's platform, the safety detective said. This makes the five-star review look legitimate so as not to arouse suspicion from Amazon moderators. It is believed that the fake reviews were left by the customers from both Europe and the USA. The safety detectives also went on to say, Although a lot of people providing fake reviews likely know what they're doing, they probably don't realise that it's actually illegal. Unassuming people may have been targeted by Amazon vendors with the offer of a free product in return for a review. What is clear is that whoever owns the server could be subject to punishments from consumer protection laws and whoever's paying for these fake reviews may face sanctions for breaking Amazon's terms of service. There are, of course, also going to be GDPR implications from this data breach. We've approached Amazon for a statement. but By the time we go to broadcast, we've not heard anything back from them. But should we get a reply from Amazon, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Another popular online platform found itself in problems with GDPR this week when Distus, a commenting plugin that's used by a number of news websites and which can share user data for ad-targeting purposes, is in hot water in Norway for tracking users without their consent. The Norwegian Data Protection Agency said today it has notified the US based company of an intent to fine it two and a half million euros, that's approximately three million US dollars, for failures to comply with requirements in Europe's GDPR regulations on accountability, lawfulness and transparency. We've contacted Zita labeled this is his parent company, for a comment, but we've not received anything at the time we did the broadcast. The Norwegian Data Protection Commissioner said they acted following a 2019 investigation in Norway's national press, which found that default settings buried in the Distus plugged in opted sites into sharing user data on millions of users in markets, including the US. And while in most of Europe, Distus was found to have applied an opt-in to gather consent from users to be tracked, it appears to have been unaware that the GDPR regulation is also applied in Norway. For those listeners who are not within the European area, Norway is not a member of the European Union, but it is a member of the European Economic Area which adopted GDPR in July 2018, slightly after it came into force elsewhere in the EU on of May 2018. The Norwegian DPA says that this, this unlawful data sharing has predominantly been an issue in Norway and says that seven websites were affected, nrk.no forward slash ytring, p3.no, tv2.no slash broom, chrono.no, addresser.no rights.no and document.no. The DPA's Director General, Bjorn Erik Thon, said Distus has argued that their practices could be based on legitimate interest balancing tests as a lawful basis, despite the company being unaware that GDPR applied to data subjects in Norway. Based on our investigations so far, we believe that Distus could not rely on legitimate interest as a legal basis for tracking across websites, services or devices, profiling the disclosure of personal data for marketing purposes, and at this time for tracking would require consent. Our preliminary conclusion is that this does process personal data unlawfully. However, our investigation also discovered serious issues regarding transparency and accountability. The Norwegian DPA said the infringements are serious and have affected several hundred thousand individuals, adding that the affected personal data is highly private and may relate to minors or reveal political opinions. The tracking, profiling and disclosure of data was invasive and non-transparent, it said. The DPA has given Discus until May 31st to comment on the findings ahead of issuing a final decision. Interestingly, the Norwegian Data Protection Authority also went on to fire a warning shot at local publishers who were using the Discus platform, pointing out that website owners are also responsible under GDPR for which third parties they allow on their websites. Of course, because technically if you put Distus on your website, then Discus becomes a data processor and you become the data controller. That means that you should carry out a data protection impact assessment to assess the risk to your users' data of adding distress or any other platform in to that to your website. And what the DPA has found, and we have every reason in our research to suspect that they're absolutely right, is that most websites do not carry out any checks before they implement plugins into their website. So this really does act as a warning to everyone that if you drop third-party plugins on your website and those third-party plugins are collecting data and you're within the EU or your customers and clients are within the EU or the UK then you need to check that the operations by that plugin are themselves GDPR compliant and that obligation falls on you. Now if you need any help in doing that please do contact us using the contact details that are coming up at the end of this article And we will, of course, be very pleased to help you through the maze of ensuring that your plug-in suppliers are GDPR compliant.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800 808 5312.
1: Back to the UK now, and the NHS COVID-19 vaccination booking website was found to be too easy to hack when some tests were carried out on it this week. The security loophole was discovered when it was found that the coronavirus vaccine appointment booking website asked users to enter their NHS number online. However, lots of people don't know their NHS number, and so they're able to book by simply providing a few key details. Once those details are entered, those who have received two jabs are immediately taken to a page informing them you have had both your appointments. Anyone without a jab is taken to a screening page, while those with just one injection are asked to enter a booking reference for their session slot. It means that with just limited information about an individual, it's possible for others to find out personal medical information. Campaigners have warned the system could be exploited by rogue employers to find out which of their staff have been vaccinated. It's understood that the information required to be entered, as opposed to a name, is the date of birth and the postcode, but both of these are also obtainable from other sources. Obviously, your employer is quite likely to know your date of birth and your postcode. And equally, the information can be found out by third parties by, for instance, checking the local electoral register. If they already know your date of birth, then they can get the postcode for your address and, hey presto, they're into the data. And of course, that's a significant data breach. A spokesperson for the National Data Guardian for Health and Social Care, which regulates the use of medical data, said it had been contacted by some people who were worried at the lack of privacy on the NHS website. It confirmed that the National Data Guardian had made contact with NHS Digital to relay their concerns and NHS Digital were taking action to close the loophole. The National Data Guardian, in a statement, said the NDG has contacted the organisations which run the website to ensure that they are aware of the concerns that have been raised and will discuss with them the twin and important aims of protecting confidentiality whilst maintaining easy access to vaccinations for the public. When we contacted NHS Digital, they said they were working to revise the page in light of the privacy concerns and went on to say the online book of coronavirus vaccination service has enabled millions of people to book their vaccinations quickly and easily with over 17 million first and second dose appointments made in four months. The system does not have any direct access to anyone's medical record and people should not be fraudulently using the service. It should only be used by people booking their own vaccinations or for someone who's knowingly provided their details for this purpose. Since coronavirus vaccination rolled out in December last year, nearly 35 million British people have had at least one injection. If we receive any further news on this from Nature's Digital, we will speak to you in a future episode of the GDFL Weekly Show.
0: Stay home, stay safe.
1: Staying with covid 19 but travelling to Northern Ireland now, Guinness, through its Raising the Bar programme, is providing a free app to pubs and bars within Ireland to manage and simplify contact tracing for venues in line with government, guidelines and in a way that is GDPR secure. The web app operates primarily through the use of QR codes and takes under 30 seconds for a customer to register their attendance at a venue, all the data is stored for 21 days in a secure database before being automatically deleted. Speaking for Hospitality Ulster, Colin Neal, its chief executive, said, After such a stressful and uncertain year, the industry is now reopening with Outdoors First. The COVID Renews app, funded by the Guinness Raising the Bar Program, is an essential part of the reopening phase, and we warmly welcome Diageo, making this free to use for a year for 1,000 hospitality businesses. It's a very simple and straightforward process for hospitality business owners to sign up, and works all devices by providing verification and tracing in a fast and simple manner that is GDPR secure. Once again, the hospitality sector is stepping up to make sure that everyone in the industry is playing their part in creating a COVID secure environment for people to start to get back out and socialise, grab a pint and have their dinner after months and months of being confined at home. For Diageo Northern Ireland, Mark McHolland's on-trade sales manager said, Diageo is delighted to be able to fund the provision of the COVID venues app in Northern Ireland through the Guinness Raising the Bar programme. It's really quick to get your venue registered, and we hope that it makes reopening just a little bit easier in the weeks ahead, knowing that all customer details are being securely collected in line with the test, trace, protect contact tracing program. The app is free for 12 months from initial sign up. Venues can sign up quickly and easily by going to https://diaggio.oqlist.co.uk forward slash intro to register your venue on the COVID Venues app. The Guinness Raising the Bar Fund has been available since June 2020 to assist pubs across Ireland to safely reopen and welcome back their customers. Any pub that registers with the programme can request a free reopening essentials kit including 25 litres of hand sanitiser, serving trays, uniforms and takeaway cups.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday 4pm UK time.
1: The Hungary now, and the Hungarian National Authority for Data Protection and Freedom of Information, the NAIH, has imposed a twenty-five thousand pounds fine on the Eleventh District Public Health Department at the government office of the capital city Budapest for failing to apply data security measures commensurate with the risks entailed in processing health data when it transmitted an Excel file containing a database of health and contact information to general practitioners. According to NAIH, the data breach was linked to the following factors. The sender did not sort information according to each general practitioner's district, enabling doctors to see the personal data of both their patients and patients under the care of other doctors. The transmitted file lacked access protection or encryption to guarantee confidentiality. And the file was sent by way of simple emails that could be viewed by anyone. Although the Government Office warned the general practitioners about the confidentiality of house data and to delete the data of patients not belonging to their districts, the above activity resulted in a high-risk data breach which it failed to report to NAIH and the data subjects. In its decision, the NAIH established the following. The data breach resulted from the Government Office's failure to implement appropriate technical and organisational measures to safeguard the confidentiality of house data during the transmission. The sender should have sorted the personal data on a district by district basis before transmission, thus ensuring that general practitioners should only access the data of patients in their own districts and not those of other patients, even if urgent action was necessary. And the lack of security measures may have resulted in personal data being disclosed to recipients who were entitled to access a fraction of the data, i.e., only the data applicable to each doctor patient relationship. Therefore, there was a direct causal link between the lack of adequate security measures and unauthorised access to the data. In the course of its risk assessment, the NAIH stated that the processing of a large quantity of health data or processing that could lead to identity theft or misuse should be considered a fundamental risk. However, a broad range of data was contained in the Excel file which made each patient identifiable. The data could even be used to make a significant diagnosis for a person being treated. Hence, a data breach in the absence of security measures with such sensitive and highly accurate health data should be considered high risk. These risks remain even if the information is only disclosed to addresses bound by professional secrecy, since once the data has been sent, the data controller has no control over the information. The fact the recipients were asked to keep the data confidential or to delete it reduced the risk in some ways, but did not eliminate it completely. Risk was increased by the fact that the Excel file was not protected by any access protection or encryption measures that would have reduced the risk of the data being accessed only by authorised person. The transmission of data by email without any additional safeguards poses a serious risk to the private data subjects and thus does not meet the level of security commensurate with the risks posed by high-risk processing in this case. They continued that, in their view, the data controller did not properly assess the risk of the incident and could not have fulfilled its obligations and those by NAIH and the data subjects. In the NIH's view, if the Government Office had separated data by districts and provided password protection with a password sent to a separate channel, there would have been no breach of data security, no corresponding data protection incident. From the point of view of protection of the fundamental rights of natural persons, including personal data, the NIAH concluded that the emergency situation caused by COVID-19 outbreak should not be a complete exemption from the need to comply with GDPR. So this clearly indicates a, a very simple situation which occurs all too often, where People just transfer data by attaching a Excel spreadsheet to an email. Please don't do it. Please make sure that any data that you send is encrypted or preferably that you store the data in a secure central location, i.e. on the cloud, and then give only selected people access to that data. Again, if you need any help with this, then please do just reach out to us and we'll be delighted to help you using the contact details that are coming up right now.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800 808 5312.
1: This week saw World Password Day. And in connection with World Password Day, Google has announced that it intends to enroll all users in its two-step verification, (2SV) provided their accounts are appropriately configured. While Google has offered two-step verification since 2011, Text and email notifications have been expanded to allow the use of Bluetooth keys and more recently the use of Doodle Prompt. We always strongly recommend the use of two factor authentication whenever you can, so we welcome this move from Doodle. For Doodle access, Android devices work as a security key, prompt users to confirm that it's you logging in on another device. Meanwhile, iOS users can download the Doodle Smart Lock app from the App Store to allow iPhones to work in the same way. Now of course we recommend the use of two-factor authentication and indeed use of strong passwords and in that sense there's a lot of merit to be gained from using a password manager such as LastPass, Apple Keychain or Google Password Manager. This week saw the ICO's Data Protection Practitioners Conference. And at the conference, the ICO revealed that it's working on new standard contractual clauses to facilitate transfers of personal data outside the UK. The ICO announced that its consultation on the new standard contractual clauses will take place this summer. This is a separate process to the new standard contractual clauses that are currently being finalised by the European Commission. These new European Union standard contractual clauses will not be valid for use in restricted transfers of data outside the UK. All this has come about, was from the Srems 2 case, which we have covered extensively on previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. What's not yet clear is how the UK standard contractual clauses will differ from the new EU standard contractual clauses. It seems unlikely that there will be any substantial differences, but, of course, until we see them, it's impossible to know. Once they've been approved, organisations will have a year in which to swap from the existing standard contractual clauses to the new UK standard contractual clauses. We will, of course, keep an eye out for these new draft standard contractual clauses from the ICO and once we have them, we will study them and bring you some guidance here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR
0: Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: Remaining here in the UK, the Home Office has clarified UK employers' document retention obligations for historic Tier 2 general applications where a Resident Labour Market Test, RLMT, was required. Employers are no longer required to retain copies of CVs of unsuccessful candidates or an HR vetting profile showing why each responding settled worker was considered unsuitable by reference to advertised criteria. Document retention obligations are now limited to details of any advertisements placed including a screenshot, printout or photocopy of the advert or a record of the text of the advert and information about where the job was advertised, for example which websites and for how long. You also need to retain a record of the number of people who applied for the job and the number of people shortlisted for interview or the other stages of the recruitment process, obviously only the numbers, not the identities of the respondents and at least one other item of evidence or information showing the process used to identify the most suitable candidate, including a copy or summary of the interview notes for the successful candidate, a list of common interview questions used for all candidates as part of the selection process, brief notes on why the successful candidate was selected and why other candidates were rejected, information about any scoring or grading process used to identify the successful candidate, and any other written information or evidence. As part of any future audit, the Home Office would not be entitled to request additional RLMT evidence. If you are using workers where RLMT applies, then it's very important that you do document these requirements within your GDPR document retention schedule. Some interesting conflicts in statistics this week. When the FCA reported, the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, reported that its data breach reports, i.e. data breaches reports it had received from members of the FCA, had decreased by 30%, despite other evidence showing that across the UK as a whole, cyber incidents had increased by 56%. So it does seem a little strange that the FCA thinks it's seeing a significant drop in the number of data breaches reported, whilst other evidence would suggest the number of data breaches is increasing, admittedly though not just across FCA members but across the whole business community. And so it seems an appropriate time to consider the risks associated with workers either working fully from home or working in a hybrid situation where they're working a few days a week at home and a few days a week in the office, which other evidence is suggesting is going to become an increasingly popular choice of employees across various sectors in the UK and, of course, across the EU and probably the rest of the world. A survey conducted by Apritorn showed that 35% of UK IT decision makers admitted that their remote workers have already knowingly put corporate data at risk of a breach in the last year. This is especially concerning given that over 1 in 10 of those surveyed also noted that they either have no control over where the company data goes or where it's stored and and that their technology does not support secure mobile remote working. Additionally, 58% still believed that remote workers would expose their organisations to a data breach. This figure has risen steadily, year on year, from 44% in 2018. But was part of that has to be reflecting that with the pandemic, there are now far more workers working from home. Furthermore, 26% of organisations noted that their remote workers didn't seem to care about security. Whilst this figure is down from 34% last year, phishing for 37%, employee negligence for 27%, Remote working for 15% and third parties for 13% are still big avenues for attack and actionable tools of a data breach. One issue, and this is something we've covered previously in GDPR Weekly Show, is what equipment is being used for remote working. It really should be discouraged from your employees having personal data and company data on the same device because one or other way there can lead to a data breach. Interesting, in the same survey, 32% of organisations said that mobile or remote working made it harder to comply with GDPR. Now, given that the ICO has indicated that it intends to make data protection impact assessments mandatory for companies who are looking to implement remote working or hybrid working, then it really is important that you get those data protection impact assessments in place now if that applies to you. We here at the GDPR Weekly Show are currently conducting a number of data protection impact assessments for our clients. And if you'd like us to conduct a data protection impact assessment for you, then all you need to do is contact us using the contact details which are coming up right now.
0: Contact us on Helpdesk at GDPRWeeklyShow.com or phone us on 0800 808 5312.
1: Same with surveys, some interesting data emerged this week about the behaviour of clients if they find that their supplier has suffered either a data breach or the reports of fraudulent transactions on its system. The survey found that 65% of e-commerce shoppers are likely to terminate their relationships with merchants after experiencing even a single instance of data theft or payment fraud. Consumers expect their transactional data to be kept private and are unforgiving of merchants who they perceive as being responsible for data breaches and hacks. And even a single instance of fraud or data theft after a transaction makes consumers leave that merchant for other merchants. In perhaps a sign that consumers are becoming more aware of the risk to their data, 71% of those surveyed said that rather than opt for a merchant site to store their credit card details, they would rather input their credit card details each time they use that merchant. But there is definitely also a shift towards digital wallets, with 68% of those surveyed saying that they would, if they could, use PayPal, Google Pay or Apple Pay with PayPal being by far the most common. When asked why they preferred PayPal, reasons ranged from it being easy and convenient to use, it being fast, there was less risk of data being stolen, if there was an issue, they knew they could get their money back, and they overall felt there was less risk of fraud if they were using PayPal as opposed to another payment method.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday 4pm UK time.
1: To Lancashire now and Chorley Council has been accused of a data breach involving thousands of residents. Chorley Council says that it has already reported itself to the Information Commissioner's Office of the ICO over the issue. The Council says it took immediate action after being told confidential details involving complaints made by the public were visible on its website and have been for the last eight years. The authority insists, however, that no payment details could be accessed and the risk to the public was low. But the man who raised the alarm has claimed that Chorley council officers have failed to notify those whose information was available online, saying that they were too busy with the election. I would have at least expected them to have informed everyone whose details were on show by now, but they haven't, said the resident who asked not to be named. They quickly details down the link and they have reported themselves to the ICO, but people need to know if they had been affected. It's understood that simply by clicking on a simple link it was possible to view 109 pages of data which should have been confidential. The information lists addresses in the borough which have made complaints about a wide range of issues from benefits to rat infestations to missing wheelie bins. In a statement, Chorley Council Chief Executive Gary Hall said after undertaking a review of the functionality we are satisfied that only the addresses of users would have been available to view through a targeted link sent directly to the relevant customer. No names were on display, and it is our opinion that none of the other fields contained additional information that would combine to identify an individual. Furthermore, no payment data could be accessed. This functionality was actually introduced to benefit residents by enabling them to view the progress of service requests they had raised with us in a simple way, avoiding the need for them to log in or create an account. It has been in place since 2013, and until now we have had no reports of residents' data being accessed by third parties. Although we believe the risk to be low, We do take all matters related to the security of our residents' personal data seriously and remove the functionality when alerted to potential issues to avoid causing any unnecessary concern. Despite the fact data will only be visible as a result of a degree of guesswork, luck or significant perseverance on the part of the wrongdoer. As an extra precaution, the user's address is no longer a viewable field and access is now based on a globally unique identifier rather than the service request identifier. The Council believes this matter does not constitute data breach, and as such there is no need to cause unnecessary alarm by alerting residents. There is no evidence that any other third party has accessed the data inappropriately. Nevertheless, we have taken the step of self-reporting the matter to the Information Commissioner's Office, we will abide by the ruling and will take any additional recommended action. Should we receive any update on this, either from the ICO or from Shorley Council, we will just bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Florida, now It's reported that cybercriminals potentially accessed data of 10,000 people in the Brevard School Board data breach. Cybercriminals could have accessed the identifying information of about 10,000 people last year through the email accounts of 12 Brevard County School Board employees, a school district spokesperson said on Friday. The school board became aware of strange activity in its systems on October 31, 2020, and on January fourth this year determined that someone had accessed 12 staff email accounts without authorization. On March 24th, the school board completed its review of the incident and identified individuals whose information had been accessed. A letter from the board dated May the fourth was sent to thousands of people potentially impacted by the data breach, explaining the chain of events. Brevard County School District spokesperson Russell Brun said the email accounts contained information from students and adults including some social security numbers. It's not clear whether whoever accessed the accounts found that information, he added. There's no reason to believe that if you drop this letter that information is out there on the dark web. He said, as an abundance of caution, we've informed anyone whose information could have been accessed. Each letter stated that the school board had no direct knowledge that the identifier and the information was misused. The school board used third-party cybersecurity experts to investigate the breach and review the security of its system. The letter stated, as part of the school board's ongoing commitment to security of information, all policies and procedures are being reviewed, and enhanced and additional workforce training is being conducted to reduce the likelihood of a similar future event. The letter offered each person access to identity theft protection services through Experian at no cost to the person. It also provided instructions on monitoring credit reports and reporting fraud. And finally this week, we travelled to Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan has recently taken action to bring its data protection laws in line with GDPR. The major changes that they've introduced are that, in terms of the Data Protection Authority, Talatstan has officially appointed the Ministry of Digital Development, Innovations and Aerospace Industry as its Data Protection Authority. The Ministry is now authorised to examine data subject appeals and inspect organisations for compliance with the Data Protection Law. Again, in line with GDPR, the law insists that companies are now obliged to appoint a Data Protection Officer, a DPO, who should ensure internal compliance with the Data Protection Law. Likewise, with data breach notifications, it has that Stanley companies are to notify the DPA about instance of information security associated with the unauthorized access to personal data. Again, looking at data protection impact assessments, the law now requires companies to conduct an analysis on the purposes of data collection and processing prior to such activities. The list of purposes should be composed based on this analysis, and it is prohibited to collect or process data that is not included on the list. And again, similar to GDPR. The new law strengthens data subjects' rights. All changes prioritise the further empowerment of data subjects. Individuals are now entitled to demand the destruction of false personal data or the amendment of imprecise data. In addition, they are given effective measures to protect their rights without going to court. The ability to appeal to the Data Protection Authority on issues of companies' compliance with established procedures of data collection and processing. So it's good to see yet another country across the world bringing its data protection laws broadly in line with GDPR. And as we've mentioned several times here previously on GDPR Weekly Show, we really welcome this because the more the world can move to a common standard on data protection, A, hopefully the better data protection will become, and B, the easier it will be for companies to trade across borders because the rules will be essentially the same.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800 808 5312.
1: The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance
0: production. Until next time, bye-bye.